This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power, home of the GA Hour Football Acre. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and uh, um, they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing for f***ing years. OK, so we talked on Monday about... Dublin's last 10 minutes 12 minutes from when they went a point behind or a man down and how they hunted down the ball and how you know it was incredibly impressive from them as champions going for five in a row to get the draw when it looked like it was turned against them Colin Keyes had some has some stats in the independent he says in the period of 12 minutes and 10 seconds from when Kerry scored the ball was in play for 10 minutes and 2 seconds and from that Dublin had possession for 6 minutes and 39 seconds just under double what Kerry had. A man down, the pressure of the five in a row, and they dominated the last, uh, the last 12 minutes, which I know we, we're repeating ourselves a little bit, but it's, it's nice to have the actual stat on it, which yeah. you wouldn't have time to get on the Monday. And it is, because I think on Monday, I was like, oh, you know, Kerry shit themselves when they got in the lead, they didn't push on. And we were all sort of pushing that narrative that Kerry should have attacked a bit more, but chose there to Oh, Dublin. they tried to attack. They it, couldn't get out for half. didn't have the ball for most of it. You know, yeah. Dublin controlled the situation. Like, that's a long time for the ball to be in play as well. It is, it, well, it is a long time for the ball to be in play, but I suppose Kerry were dropping a lot of men behind the ball, so there was an element of, you know, moving it around outside them a little bit and they were trying to work a score and they were taking a few pot shots. And there's a great stat of uh, from Dear McConnelly, Gaelic stats have this. And the last player, Connolly tried one from outside the 45. The last Dublin player to attempt a shot from play outside the 45 in championship football was who? Dear McConnelly. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> That's the classic, isn't it? Three years ago. Yeah, they didn't Three say the game in 2016, did they? I, I'm trying to think uh, at the, in the end of the 2016 final, the first game, uh, oh, the sideline kick. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, but that wasn't outside no. the 45 because uh, I, I don't remember Dublin doing anything as ambitious or, like, as you said, like outside the 45 since then because Kieran Kilkenny was trying to wind down the clock at the time. Yeah. Connolly had the sideline kick. Killian O'Connor gets up and go, goes up and gets the equaliser. And then, I, I, as I said, I can't remember Dublin doing any speculative shots since then. So could have been, it must have been just before that. Then. It was a huge mistake from uh, Connolly that I remember se- talking about that at the time. He should have just kept that alive, yeah. you know, instead of a pot shot. To be fair, Connolly, the shot he took on, I at that time of the game, I thought it was the right shot to take on. He's excellent off the outside of his boot. He's right in the middle of the goals. Like, you know, I thought the Brian Howard one from over on the right, even though it was closer in, was a more difficult 
outside of the right and he sliced across yeah. it. I had backed Dear McConnelly eight times out of ten to have stuck that over. Yeah, it was like a rugby getting thrown back to the ten. Yeah, and yeah, the truck like goal. Yeah. He had the space and time and he, he pinged it just, just wide. There wasn't much in it, I'd say. I didn't see a, no, a replay. But I, I, I still don't, I don't think Jim Gavin would have looked kindly upon it because there's a reason why Dublin ah, stop. Chats he loves Dear McConnelly. <laughs> that man could do, he could do that from the halfway line and yeah. he's all right. But I bet you that's going to be highlighted numerous times in this video review. Dublin probably did he it the day after. be brushed. This is Dear McConnelly and Jim Gavin. Yeah. Will you stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, oh, listen, we didn't get that. The video erased that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, Dermot, you're okay. Well, listen, just just try and go a little bit closer the next time. Uh, yeah, Dermot. I remember one time... Uh, or Dermot or whatever you might call him. In a video review, you went through one-on-one and I was about five yards out and completely scuffed the shot straight into the keeper's hands, you know. But as we were watching the video review, it jumped. And then went on to the next phase Very of play, so it was great. But maybe something <laughs> like that will deliberately happen yeah. for Conway. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. So we talked as well about Jim Gavin kind of freezing on the line. Um, we talked about the substitution with Tommy Walsh and how um, Dublin didn't counteract that and left Kerry with seven forwards, which looked against six backs. Um, we talked about the, the Kerry bench making a big impact. And Jim Gavin not necessarily trusting his bench anymore. So, like, I mean, there's a stat, Colin Keyes had this as well. He says, for the first time in 45 championship games, Jim Gavin didn't reach to deploy two more replacement options that were available to him. So he used four subs instead of six. And he used three of those subs very, very late. Mm. You know, very late, 67 minutes. So, like, I mean, he doesn't look like he has any trust in his bench. Only once before against Kerry in the 2016 All-Ireland semi-final have Dublin not used their full complement of five uh, of five subs or six, right? So what's what is that in common with 2016? High, high pressure game, close. Jim Gavin freezes on the line. I'm telling you, I'm very, I'm very uh, kind of sure about this because Mick O'Dwyer, probably the most celebrated manager of all times, had loads of qualities. I pointed out one or two of his weaknesses, but one of Mick's weaknesses was freezing on the line in close games. Mick would empty his bench. If we're winning really well, easy, you're relaxed on the line, or if we're losing really well. If the game's in a melting pot, he ain't doing anything. He's frozen. Now, I don't know if he's frozen or if they're just concentrating on the game so much and maybe Jim needed a selector to try and push these through. But Dear McConnelly just standing there for about six, seven minutes with his top off, that's a manager not really being the ice-cold manager that we would have thought Jim Gavin was. Yeah, and when when the games are that tight, you're you're almost afraid of you interrupting, like, you know, when you mess him with something. And, yeah. and now, we don't know how this feels. Like, yeah. so it's hard to be too critical. But if, if, we're, if we're judging managers off the highest standards and Jim Gavin is, you know, the best in the business, well, then we, I suppose we can judge him off those best in the business standards. Mm. Could you not point to then the 2016 final replay in the 2017 game where well, Bernard Brogan, Cormac Oslo in 2016, and then the bench kind of brought them home in 2017 against Mayo where like they, they had to come on and make a difference. So I just thought it was an anomaly. I, well, I wasn't thinking back to the 2016 game, but I just thought that Gavin froze particularly the last day against Kerry, but like, like before he's used his bench really well. Yeah. Now, were they re- I suppose they were... Against Mayo, they went behind with Lee Keegan, but a few of those would have been on at that stage anyways. Like, I'm wondering if if you're ahead. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Maybe it's a Kerry thing. I don't know. I will take on that. But I think Michael Darmacauley, Bernard Brogan, Costello, and the form Costello was in, they're a lot more obvious substitutions. Maybe he just doesn't trust his bench. And that's, it's not a, a matter of freezing. Maybe it's like, who can improve what's already well, there? Well, especially this show. So he brought on Kevin McManaman about five minutes ago. Now, he doesn't look right. Of course, but it could, like Kevin McManaman put in a couple of big tackles. But when you were bringing in Kevin McManaman a few years ago, it was right, right. He was going to terrorise whoever he was on. He was yeah. going to go straight at his man and brought a different dimension in attack to what Dublin had previously. Cormac Oslo a couple of years ago came on and scored three points against Mayo, kind of from nowhere. But Costello this year isn't an unknown because he's been starting up until the Super yeah. 8s. And I think his confidence is a bit shot maybe because of that. So he's looking to who he has now. And that, that probably says a lot about him bringing on Jim McConnelly because Jim McConnelly was nowhere earlier on the summer and then he's all of a sudden catapulted in the in the pecking order ahead of Bernard Brogan Onagar and others that have been there for years so it just indicates a suspicion that we've had all along that he doesn't have the same trust near yeah. the same level of trust he had in his bench yeah. previous years but do, doesn't McManaman the way he runs he looks like he's not right fully fit or something do you know maybe he's just pushing on and looks he's had a, a few injuries just, just looks like, a good yeah. bit older he doesn't look like he doesn't look as lively or whatever now he don't want to take it away from him he, he did some huge work and he's mm. maybe set the tone in yeah. some of these turnovers and Connolly as well yeah and it, like in fairness like, Gavin just didn't have a good game like it, it wasn't 
good bench selections or leaving them so late. But then we talked about Cooper and then starting him on Clifford was strange. Not moving him off him was another one. Daley yeah. Byrne had a good game, but he was free. So like, could you have used somebody better like, or somebody more impactful? No, Jim Gavin had a nightmare. Yeah. Like there's no doubt about that. And he will be going crazy to fix it. I'd say he knew he had a nightmare. He didn't. Jack McCaffrey got man of the match. He didn't allow him out to be interviewed. Yeah. Uh, the broadcasters were told that Jim Gavin's the only one that's going to talk. And we know he's not going to give much away. But it's like they went into, lo- into lockdown. I think they did that after the Mayo drawn match as well. I think they went into lockdown. Yeah, it sounds familiar, well. yeah. Because Mayo did all the media after that, do you remember? And then somebody they were criticised. Yeah, uh, somebody did an interview on the pitch immediately after the drawn game in 2016. And I'm pretty sure, as you said, that Dublin kind of went to ground. Yeah, they went to ground. I don't think it did them too much. The, the replay was still close yeah, anyway. So yeah. it was all the one. So this Whelan and Brawley thing is still uh, rumbling on. John McEntee was writing in the Irish News and he, I thought he summed it up well. He said, to witness grown men transforming into babbling babies <laughs> as they talked over each other and spurted out a few flawed observations can only be described as daft yet it was compelling viewing I didn't find it compelling viewing I, I turned it away and most other people stopped watching it at that stage it's not compelling to me anyways Wheelow's had a change of heart Wheelow smart enough fella the big mistake Wheelow made he admitted he was biased and I think that compromises him in forevermore for any Dublin game he can't be on he's biased he's admitted to being biased gone Forget about it. You can't be trusted anymore giving your opinion on Dublin. You've admitted you're biased. He said he's biased. Yeah, he? He, said, he tried to claim that Pat Spillane was and biased. And in fairness, if Spillane yeah. wouldn't admit it, how yeah. could you admit it? If you had, how could you be, number one, you should never be biased. People have to believe what you're saying is yeah. what you think. Or what have you got as a pundit? You're gone. You've got nothing. But anyways, Quilo has at least admitted he was wrong. He says, when you look back on it um, and look at the replays, even though Joanne showed him plenty of replays he wouldn't he wouldn't bend that day but then he had Brawley backing him up when you look back on it and you look at the replays as Cooper is going down he does pull Clifford down with him so it's hard to argue with Goff's decision I think he said that on some other uh, RT mm. show so at least he's held his hands up and said he was wrong yeah but like he didn't need hindsight to do that like they watched the replay over and over yeah. and over and Joanne said like she actually said he's pulling his arm he's pulling him to the ground mm. and, and they never once gave a, a tangible reason for why it was a, a foul in the other direction they never they just said ah come on like you know and then said he was biased that bias thing is very silly like like you want Lee to win I want Derry to win you know but it doesn't come into the analysis of it all no mm. and there's no like I Should actually never. think sometimes you, you're afraid of being biased and you're overcritical of your own <laughs> yeah, county like I'm actually yeah, yeah. the other way of it you know like I mean that's, being biased and if one of your own county men gets sent off and you know it's a sending off and you're saying it wasn't how can you do that? Like, yeah. I, I just can't comprehend that. I just don't, I don't get it. But anyways, like why go into punditry if that's what you want to be? Anyways, Brawley, of course, isn't uh, admitting he was wrong. He's doubled down. He was on Radio Kerry. Um, what he was doing on Radio Kerry, I don't know. He said, I, he, I thought the referee was being played by David. Uh, look, I've done it myself. We've all been there and you hope it will work for you, forcing Johnny Cooper to try and come around him. So he's shown in some way that he understands what was going on here. As soon as Johnny reached for him, well, then he went down. For me, it was a clear body check to start with. So now then in the very next sentence, he shows he doesn't have any idea what's going on. He said, uh, that's what I thought at the time. And that's what I think again today watching it. So he's compl- it certainly wasn't a yellow card. So he is absolutely not... Uh, admitting he was wrong like I, I, I don't know what to think of Brawley anymore I've gone off him as a pundit I don't uh, I think he has agendas I think he flip-flops so often you don't know whether he's being serious it reminds me of Boris Johnson in a GEA punditry is he playing games why is he saying this he had a predetermined idea that the Kerry Mafia got to Goff so the minute Goff gave a decision against Dublin he was going to say it was the wrong one because he's playing a game with Kerry pundits, you can't take him seriously, you mm. know? So it's really hard. I find it really hard to listen to him waffling and then yeah. wondering, is this, what angle is he coming at? What game is he playing? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a really weird one. And, and then when you catch him out, like, like he did in the Gaelic Life, he just says, like, it's, it's, this isn't life or death, it's just football. Well, you see, that, I think that's, that's probably at his very worst because, like... That's what he said in Gaelic Life today. He says, those on social media would do well to remember we're discussing a game of football, not some heinous crime or shocking world event. Now, this will tell you how little self-awareness Joe has because he would do well to think of that when he's 
Colin Sean Cavanagh, not a man, yeah, just yeah. For, for, for a foul. When he's talking about Kieran McGinney in awful terms and the cult of Kieran McGinney because he's training his team the way the players demand professional standards. You know, and then Paul Grimley talking about him and his brother. What happened to it's only a game mm. then? And if we criticise Joe, is it only a game? But when Joe criticises everyone else, it's obviously very serious and we're passionate gales and, you know, we'll, we, if we can't give you a strong opinion on some, what yeah. a weasley thing to say. Yeah. Like, oh, don't, oh, leave me alone. It's only football. <laughs> and also, you're on the Sunday game. You're in the most like influential job on that Sunday. Yeah. Take it seriously, because like, everybody in Ireland is taking it seriously. This is the biggest event that's going on in the country. This is our national sport. National game it final. Seriously. It's our national final. And it's something that is really, really important to everyone. Mm. And you're talking nonsense and people are criticising you. Take that on the chin. Don't make light of it when you're the worst probably at criticising mm. people. And then, of course, he goes out what, to prove that he's not anti-Kerry. He goes to the Kerry Hotel and is tweeting out pictures of himself and Tommy Walsh and David Moran. But this <laughs> what, is another... What does that prove? Well, yeah. it proves nothing. It proves that he went out there and he's probably trying to sniff around for information. And the two lads are worse to be getting in pictures anyways. But the, I'd say they don't give it, don't care less. But that's bro- another brawly tactic. He says what he wants about you. And then when he meets you, he kills you with kindness. That you're actually almost like, whoa, yeah. he's a very friendly man altogether. Like, you know, he, and he's got a, a, a neck that he, no matter what he says about anyone, he'll still approach them and just be so really, really nice to them. Yeah. You just don't know what's going on with this. <laughs> Tell you, this Boris Johnson-esque. Yeah. Yeah, when you deliver your message with such confidence, you know, and like that's what Boris Johnson does. Just no matter if he's telling lies, he's just, you know, yeah. saying it in, a, in an entertaining type of way. And then when called up on the substance of said comments, he just diverts it to what he wants to say. He, could, di- he could divert he it or he could say it. you're taking this way yeah, too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. So like, I mean, I don't really know what to think about that. De- Declan McBennett has been talking, so they're not changing their policy. John, John Fogarty had this in The Examiner. He says, there's no policy as regards how we choose our analysts or whether their own county is involved or otherwise. And um, that won't change. That will continue to be the case. We will pick the best analysts for a game, regardless of whether their country is involved or not. I think that's a mistake. I have no problem. And this is always with pundits down through since I started with media. It's nice to have a pundit from the county in an early championship game where you haven't might, you mightn't have seen much of them during the league and they'll give you a little bit of bit insight more, yeah. on them. They'll know a bit more about that county. All-Ireland final, Dublin or Kerry. Kieran Whelan knows no more about Dublin than the three of us. Realistically, it's a shut-up shop. He knows very little more. He wouldn't have played it with any of them. Only, I don't think he would have played with any, Bernard Brogan or maybe one or two of them from own. He was still around at the start Cluxton, of Deerwigs, yeah. Cluxton. You know, what's he offering? What's Pat Spillane offering from Kerry? And if these lads are not you know, given honest answers. And Henry Shefflin went, like, he was on it for the hurling and mm. re- defended Richie Hogan, yeah. indefensible, really, at that stage. Henry made an all right point about your elbow staying up, but it was a wish, you know, it was a, you're plucking at straws, yeah, really. So, yeah. like, I mean, if these, if, if the shift now in punditry has gone to you have to defend your own county no matter what, sure, then, it, then the halftime analysis is just, it's a farce, yeah. it's a joke. What's the point in watching it? Which is exactly yeah. what we got. Yeah. 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 Just go to Sky. But like I it, I, Sky is duller, yeah. but like, I mean, there's none of those games on it. Now, maybe people like those games. I can't imagine too many people liked to see the bit I saw where they're squabbling over each other over a referee decision. There was no real analysis of the first half. It vexed me more than any piece of punditry I've seen in a long time. I couldn't believe that they were saying with the images right, with the footage and the images right in front of them that they were claiming that Johnny Cooper, that it should have been a free out. Never mind that Johnny Cooper should have got a second yellow. It really vexed me. And it vexed me again then, at least Kieran Whelan, I don't think he addressed it afterwards, but Brawley was doubling down. He was like, still at full time when when they're probably been let know about the social media reaction and how everybody thinks you're wrong here, that he's still doubling down. But that's, that's probably and at least yeah. as he said that uh, Whelan kind of he- held his hand up. But on, on the bias thing, as long as like, I sw- you definitely have a point, but like, I, I think that like, I don't want to miss out on the best pundits just because, because as you said earlier on, the best pundits should know, should be aware of their bias and should be able to analyse without letting that bias affect their, affect their analysis. Yeah. Now that affected Kieran Whelan and affected Richie Hogan. But let's say the people I like, let's say, uh, Tomas O'Shea um, on football and Anthony Daly in hurling like two pundits that I'd like for example I wouldn't like to think that just because Claire and Kerry are involved in the match that they wouldn't be able to Okay that's a fair point you know. yeah yeah. I'd take Tomas O'Shea but like I mean obviously 
you'll take Tomas Shea because you know he wouldn't go down that yeah, road exactly, I don't know yeah, like yeah. I mean uh, maybe well I think Kieran Whelan's completely compromised himself ever doing a Dublin game again but RT have to be fully aware of the potential for that to happen if they get Kieran Whelan or Henry, she- Henry Shefflin in, and they have to be aware of how it's going to affect their credibility if what has happened in the last three weeks happens because RT's credibility has been affected by that by well, letting that, Kieran Whelan but do, do you wonder do RT Henry care or are they delighted with this co- because we're everybody still talking we're talking about, about it but is, has it gone to that now that it's a circus this is the Donald Trump type stuff do you know what I mean and the Boris Johnson this is who who cares about whether it's good people are talking about it or who cares if we're telling the truth people are talking about it is that punditry now is it a circus at half time and a circus at full time and everyone goes mad on social media and that's it now yeah like I, yeah, I don't know if I'm mistaken I don't think I am the RT did put out a clip of that did they did yeah. yeah they did yeah yeah so the Sunday game did yeah. they don't care like, they, like they're like that, that was a sort of embarrassing piece of analysis yeah, that you would want to bury you don't want to uh, like that was the thing that they were picking as their best their best moment and then maybe they're just feeding back reports and numbers and stuff like that because so many people are interactions engagements yeah. all those we know the analytics yeah. like it but as a public service broadcaster there has to be a balance there there, there has to be a, an acknowledgement of the need for balance that it can't just be about you know engagement and figures and stuff like that that there has to be importance led towards balance credibility etc as opposed to oh listen everybody's talking about this quids in yeah. know, this is brilliant yeah well no you're right to put out a clip of a pundit admitting to be biased and getting a call completely wrong and to put that out Jesus is like who? Why? How would you even? How would you even dream? You want to be burying that? You want to be taking that <laughs> off the player? Yeah. Um, anyways, we'll move on from that because uh, I was just I saw a tweet about David Clifford and you know the general consensus was David Clifford's shooting was way off and didn't have one of his finest hours. The man's twenty. He got fouled for the penalty. He got Johnny Cooper sent off. He roasted Johnny Cooper, which we don't see all that often. He got fouled uh, for two tap over frees and he scored two from play himself. He's only 20. That's his first ever All-Ireland final. It's, isn't it weird the standards we hold this fella to already? Mm. Like, I mean, mm. that is a solid an All-Ireland final for most players. It's just now, you know, he's got that Joe, Joe Canning, uh, you know, aura of the co- a coming great that this isn't good enough for us with him. Now, we want to see him yeah. rattle a top corner and not miss. He also set up the goal chance for Paul Ginny, didn't he? Which would have been a goal if James McCarthy wasn't so good. But... Like he got in the position and then set it up. I, I knew that I was doing this watching the game because I was texting boys going, for God's sake, like, what, you know, where is David Clifford? He's, he's missing all these shots. But I was happy enough doing it because in my head, it's like he's going to be probably the best player ever. Right. So it was like, this is the time now, all or the final, put those shots over. You know, he can handle it. And I know that it's, it's at a higher standard and it's you know, not fair compared to other 20-year-olds, but he's going to be at a higher standard forever anyway. So I wanted to see him take the game by the scuffle and make it, but I think he holds himself to that standard yeah. as well I think that's uh, he's after the game the last day he's thinking well he's done all that so like that's on the, the positive side but he's thinking right I missed three easy well not maybe not easy but three definitely easy scoral for opportunities him. for him in the first half and the sickener for, for him would probably be the one he dropped into the keeper's ha- ha- hands in the second half so like but like loads 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 of positive to take but I'd say he's the type of guy that holds himself to that high standards that he'd be comfortable with that level of criticism I think too maybe those two early misses just might have been kind of a reflection on the pressure he was under like, like just because he's a happy-go-lucky type of fella but let's be honest if we're thinking this lad could easily take the game with a scruff neck. He's only 20. Mm. Like, there's no doubt that's going, like, I, people are saying I'm great. I want to prove I'm great. You know what I mean? So now he's got a, sh- he's got a shot and suddenly maybe a doubt will come into his mind he's pulled that wide. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I think he did well even to get to two points and fight against those two early misses. Because look, look what happened Rory McIlroy in the last round of the Masters. Like you, you can crumble too in a mm. situation like that. So marking, I'd say he would love if Cooper, in a weird way, the Cooper wouldn't have if he didn't get sent off. Because yeah. Simons didn't fall for his tricks um, is easily and he didn't get on as much ball now the game changed a little bit in the second half um, as well I'd say he was under a little bit of pressure if one of those maybe the next day one of those first ones will go over I think we might see a goal from him the next day Yeah well in fairness what he does he doesn't um, normally panic like he, he always plays the right ball remember we were saying about his first game for Kerry like you think he's going to take somebody on but he passes it off yeah. when that's the right thing to do and normally he always does that and in fairness the shots he missed we're all, I think one of them maybe he was rushing the shot but the other ones he deserved to take them on as well 
And we've seen him play Hogan Cup finals and minor finals, scoring four goals. Like, you know, so in Kerry, that expectation is definitely there that David Clifford's going to going to dominate again. Even yeah, it was far higher standard. Yeah, no. So we look forward to seeing that. Stephen Rochford, I think he was on the AIB um, podcast. Um, he's talking about you know a drawn match so he was a good man to have on we're going to have Chris Barrett on next uh, Wednesday when we do our All-Ireland uh, preview show to talk a little bit about the dynamic of a draw how you prepare for the final what your learnings are and uh, Stephen Rochard was saying um, they'll have video I'd say Dublin will get that straight away um, he says I remember in 2016 they were on top of it while we were still travelling like I mean it took us on, it took us into Tuesday or Wednesday before we got going Dublin will recalibrate very very quickly based on geography physically it'll be about getting through Wednesday night then doing a bit next weekend and try and hit the ground running um, the next Saturday so even it's funny that he was aware they're going home in the bus Dublin are already on top yeah. of their analytics. When I'm wondering why would Mayo not be on top? Like that's a separate team. They have their own jobs to do. Download your shit, get it ready. Yeah. The team traveling home, I didn't think should really have effect. Uh, you see, I, mean, I don't don't yeah. necessarily understand, but I would have thought that can be done up in cyberspace and you land yeah, home yeah, to yeah. all your analytics. Not just because you're living in Dublin, you can yeah, get access to it Yeah, I don't think that should away. make much difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, know, I know Jerry Flannery's on the, the rugby show here. Like He was talking about doing all that on the bus. So when you're going home, you're not analysing games when you're supposed to be spending time with your family. So right. when he was with Munster, they were doing all their analysis at the front of the bus. Yeah. The technology's there. I don't know what made Killian, it. Killian O'Connor said Mayo were doing it this year, actually. On the way back from Kerry, they had access to the right. analytics the on the way back because the bus. Like, we know during games you can get some real-time stats and analysis is true and GPS stats in game mm. you know so when someone's tiring it's getting flagged up and we know they have stats bang on in half time and they're reading off their kick out stats and all these kind of things so uh, we must ask Chris Barrett next week what Stephen's talking about here what do they need what is the what is the bus journey home effect, <laughs> affecting yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's a Mayo whinge Connor I think that's <laughs> what it is is it we're not fond of that <laughs> <laughs> taking us into Tuesday or Wednesday as well he just skipped the whole Monday there too like yeah 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 <laughs> maybe he took the Monday off yeah. Stephen we don't know maybe wow. it's a busy day in AIB and he just didn't get around <laughs> I just wonder how much extra they can actually get done in that like you know compared to Dublin let's say if you go back to 2016 like if how much is how, how much are you actually going to do between the replay and or the drawing game in the replay anyway you probably do a little bit of analysis but you don't want to go overboard on it either train a couple of times so especially it would be different if it was a week but with two weeks I'd say they'd it's not much of a difference between what they'll be able to do and what Dublin will be able to do despite the fact that they're the other side of the country. I don't think so. I think at the ana- analytics, I don't agree with. Obviously, the, the journey home, yeah. getting the recovery done the next day, that's a disadvantage to Mayo or Kerry in comparison to Dublin. Like I'd imagine Dublin could get the recovery going later that evening, mm. get into their ice baths, get into a pool, have their meal, you know, in whatever hotel they were staying in, all that done. And then they're ready to go maybe a day earlier than Mayo. Yeah. Do you know, I, I can see that side. Yeah. The analytics I'm a little mm. bit confused about. Um, so Connor Lane gets the replay. There's not been a word about Connor Lane. You see, Connor <laughs> Lane kind of, I don't know, does he have any unique selling points, Connor Lane? He just, you don't really hear any kind of critis- critique of him or he seems to just be solid enough. Well, he's, a, he's a Cork man. <laughs> Kerry won't like Kerry that. Kerry won't yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, like if it, they ran out through the Cork minor presentation. <laughs> Connor Lane won't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it going here, will he? So I don't, I don't know, but like, I mean, Connor Lane seems to be all right. Morris Deegan is his linesman, leashman. Solid. And David Coldrick is running the other line. Um, obviously, David Goff can't get the replay. I have to hold my hands up. I don't think he even said it on Monday and completely apologise to David, David Goff for doubting that he could do the job or maybe doubting um, under in the in a pressure scenario whether he could actually you know deliver the goods and the pressure going into the game would he go too far against Dublin or too far with Dublin based on what people were saying. And to be honest, the man was flawless. Mm. So I will never, ever criticise David Goff for his next Dublin game. Maybe the one after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt David Goff for a Dublin game again. I think the way he refed that game blew my doubts and, you know, made, if you're listening back on the podcast, 
would make me sound a little bit silly in the things I was saying. But I suppose they were based off a previous Dublin game, which, mm. you know, uh, maybe it's a transfer away from that school in Terran Yore and Kevin McManaman pushing on, you know. <laughs> well, it takes, it, takes a big man to hold a hand up, Willie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll do what RT didn't do. We'll bury that older stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Elite that podcast. Yeah. Uh, it, was so, it was so good, though. I was wondering, like, geez, I'd love to see him reffing it again because he got all the decisions right and the game was brilliant. Well, because what, what is the policy of I that? No, that he might be influenced by decisions he made in right. the first game I don't know I, I, I don't I, know I, it must be something to do with yeah. that if there was controversy in it they just made a policy not to leave it across the board and find another ref but after the after the performance he had he seems like the very logical and they, this is the one thing I would say about Goff my main criticisms of Goff and I said this on Monday was that Connacht final and when I saw him blowing up these frees off the ball and it was my first time to see him doing it and it's a Connacht final and fair enough some of the some of the defenders had a little bit of hands on and I'm like that happens in games give me a break and I thought that was completely him trying to say look at me now considering he's so consistent at that now now my my criticism has moved to the defenders you know what he doesn't mm. like now that he's consistent at this he didn't just pull this out of his hat that yeah, day it's in the rules as well and it's in the <laughs> rules now some of them can be a little bit flimsy but at the same time that's his thing players you have to know that's his thing so if Connor Lane's marking the next day Johnny Cooper could get away with manhandling uh, Clifford you don't know. You have to play referees the way yeah. you play teams. So, like, I mean, I have no problem with the way Goff referees now. And now I now I say, if a lad's holding, I don't say, Goff, what are you blowing that for? That's soft. I'm saying, why are, are you, you putting your hands near him, you idiot? Do you yeah. know? You know what Goff doesn't like. Yeah, and part of that, that's sort of one of the biggest reasons I'd love to see him refereeing again because it keeps the conditions the same. It's not going to be a different yeah. game mm. because it was a different referee. Yeah, that's a good point. It is a good mm. point. That's why I would, myself, I would love to see him refereeing it again, but he's not. So we'll have to see how Connor Lane. You'd hope Connor Lane would protect the forwards the way the way Goff does because like I mean they do need that protection yeah. and to be honest even though some of them are soft the minute you're blown for that you're gone because like I mean play a corner forward long enough to know you're being pulled and dragged and you'll whinge about it as much as you can to the umpire to everyone your man gets a yellow card he can't do anything to you again and now you can relax and play the gate that kind of old battle you have to get over <laughs> is gone yeah. but with Goff that, that battle never starts because yeah. any, yeah. any cornerback with any brains would know I'm not I, he's watching me off the ball you know he's mm. got two eyes on me um, so yeah it's definitely an interesting one um, oh yeah have this down so there's reduced ticket prices right and this is just pure GEA and the whole complaining culture so when the tickets increased right there was war the usual Twitter social media nonsense and outrage and this is a disgrace it's gone up and like they have a point that it's gone up do you see the same people complimenting them for reducing the tickets this time? There's not a dicky bird. I didn't see a dicky bird about this. So when they actually reduce the tickets by a third, stand tickets are 60 and terrace tickets are available for 30. And discounted children's tickets will cost a tenner. Um, and none of them are going on general sale. They're going between the competing counties. Did you see the GEA getting widely complimented for uh, reducing the, the, the ticket prices by a third? No, but uh, I don't know that they deserve to be. Is this not policy? Like when when it's GA policy though. Yeah, is that every sports policy? Well, maybe maybe not. But I like I know that like replays the last couple of years has always been this way. They were yeah. re- re- reduced to that this level. Like I, I don't know that the GA deserve uh, compliments for our praise for taking it down because well I would have been I, I I wasn't I wasn't saying it on Twitter or anything like that. But I would have been one of the people who objected to the price of the All Ireland final in the first place. I thought ninety euro was way too excessive. So I don't know. Like it's I think. That should be the least that like 60 euro is the maximum that it should be for an All-Ireland final. And so I don't know, I wouldn't be necessarily paying compliments to the GA for, for, for setting that price. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, Cheddar changed my mind on this. I was kind of giving out about the increase as well. And then he's like, like, this is our, our flagship All-Ireland final event you like go to a rugby match could be 120 euros you could go to a soccer match could be over that as well you would go to the All-Iron Final 10 times over any of those other sports and you're paying 90 for it it's a one-off game they have to make money out of it that money goes back into the clubs I don't think it's that much that outrageous people want to pay it you'd fill yeah. Croke Park probably 10 times with that price the only problem with the GA is that they should tier their prices so that the yes. highest the worst seat in the house should not cost the same as the best seat in the house that's the I think that's the criticism 
But I think charity, I think making a lot of money out of your big game of the season, especially when this isn't going into people's pockets, it's going back into the... And that's the only big games that the GA get to make their money on is the kind of knockout All-Ireland. Yeah. That's when the, the provincials, provincial councils are out of the mix and it's just, you know, GA money. I don't really mind. I'm, I'm, I've changed my mind on it. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair argument. I, I don't necessarily like comparing it to other sports for a start because the GA is different and I think it should be different. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I agree with the tier structure as well. I don't think, I don't think it was, it was fair that everybody was paying 90 quid for a ticket in the first place. It was just, when you, when you kind of look, when I looked into it or when, when people were buttoning up, let's say the, the costs of everything that went into it, the, you know, it just seemed a little bit excessive, and I and I think that I'd just, be more on the train tickets when it, you yeah, know what I, I know train up from Kerry. The, yeah, train, yeah. the train from Kerry is outrageous. What and that's not to do, the, and that's not to do with the yeah, 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 and, yeah. and and uh, or but, uh, Ross, and, the, the yeah. transport minister. And the other thing was that like I I don't think because <laughs> <Leave John Horan. laughs> I don't think because it'll sell out ten times over is uh, is a reason to put the price at you know an excessive an excessive level in the first place. That's just me. Like I completely yeah. accept your argument as well, but that's where I become. Wait, and you hear this. This is the fifth All-Ireland final replay of the decade between hurling and football. The five All-Ireland replays have netted them 15 million in revenue. Oh, the old replay. Blow it up, Ray. <laughs> 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 All right, we're going to come back and we'll talk about some of the managerial merry-go-round appointments and departures. He was a fantastic analyst, and I mean, I really heed what he would say in your program. I think, I think Tyrone are going to win. I'm going to go with them. I, as much as I, I predicted Dublin to win the All Ireland at the start of the year, I just think Tyrone are going too well. They're unaffected by the other team, too well set up. I think they've been preparing for Dublin for two years. They're ready for them. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Yeah. All right, so manager appointments and departures. So we're going to start off with Rory Gallagher. This is probably the uh, one of the highest profile ones. There's been some amount of comings and goings in the last week, hasn't there? Like, I mean, it's mm. been off the charts between managers staying on, between managers going and managers being appointed. So Rory Gallagher has been appointed to Derry. Um, and this will bring a tear to your icon. And as you obviously know, Enda Muldoon's part of the backroom team. How can you criticise this backroom or this management team ever? I'm not. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to think twice about disappointing Big Enda ever. I mean, I'm biased, Will, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you can admit your bias towards Enda Muldoon, right? Um, like, yeah, it's and a, Paddy Bradley. And Paddy Bradley. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. So there was... They went through the whole nominations process, asked clubs to put forward. There was controversy about this, right? Managers, so yeah. And like, yeah, sorry, three three managers were put forward. So Mickey Donnelly, who was under 20 manager, Johnny McBride, a Derry legend who's managing Loop, and Sean McGoldrick and Peter Doherty together, who are just two legendary club managers in Derry. Like Sean McGoldrick's been with Coleraine for oh, yeah. 50 All years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sean Leo's father. Yeah. Isn't? And um, so that would have been a really sort of interesting one as well. But. Turns out that Derry had approached Rory Gallagher as well and asked him was would he interview. And then when that news got out that before any of the interview process, Derry were doing this, all the other guys just sort of dropped out and thought, what's the point? You've approached somebody else. We were nominated. He wasn't. Right. Um, so they all dropped out. It left Rory Gallagher on his own. But the clubs were going to vote this down. They weren't going to ratify it. Was that what I yeah, was reading? Yeah, so like Mal McMullen was um, reporting that before Tuesday's ratification process that all the clubs met and sort of put forward a proposal that, you know, this would be blocked, that Rory Gallagher's appointment would be blocked. But that was shot down then at the meeting on Tuesday. A vote 24 to 15. And then there was a bit of controversy about that because the county board has 11 votes and they won by 11 <laughs> right? You know, oh, so it was time then nine clubs didn't show up as well which obviously didn't help I think it was nine but um, yeah so there was a bit of controversy about it but as it turns out it's uh, Rory Gallagher's in Kieran Mina is with him and Enda Muldoon yeah so the big opposition to Rory Gallagher is obviously his style of play it's, it's depressing to watch we obviously had Tomasa Corrigan on the show here. Anyone didn't hear his interview or he was part of the show for the full hour. Um, you know, he had some scathing things to say about enjoyment within, you know, his squad. Now, Rory Gallagher's point on this is that, look, I didn't have the talent in Fermanagh. We thought he had enough forwards and, you know, he has this one way of playing. Now, apparently with Killy Beggs this year, he's not playing like that with them. 
Uh, now he played it with Kilcar, which is bizarre considering the talent they had. Um, he's Gallagher is quoted today as saying that there's there's more than one way of playing. I, I can you know play more than one way. I don't know. Do you, what do you think? Do you think he'll go into Derry and do that same thing? Like I I I think public perception has gone against that. I saw um, I saw your man uh, Poacher in Gaelic Life again. It's just a tweet. Of the GAR account, he was promoting a piece and he was saying, talking about coaches changing their tactics mid game or changing it up. I said, mate, you haven't changed how you play in the last, like, (laughs) I don't know how long. I don't know if you're uh, a defensive manager to the level Rory Gallagher is. Like, I mean, can you ch- can you change and coach that when you you have since he came into management in 2011, he knows nothing else. Yeah, he knows nothing else outside of transition, zonal defense and uh, counterattack football. I'd say he's forgotten. Now, obviously, he played in the same era as me. So he knows, you know, he remembers it. But I suppose coaching, it might be a little bit different. I, I, yeah. He'll find it a challenge if now, unless he's dipped his toes in the, you know, attacking football waters with Killy Beggs. Um, I suppose, yeah, I suppose my thing on that is um, I, I think he I think he can I think he can change it uh, whether he will or not I don't know but I'd worry for my worry for Derry would be let's say if he tries to implement uh, some sort of uh, philosophy that's far different to what we know him for so far but if the things go against him will, will he have the guts to stick with it then or like that's my fear and that like I think it nearly happened to in Tyrone to a certain extent that when you try and when you try and change your spots but then when the chips are down that there's a tendency to go back to what you know and I think if he tries something new with Derry and it goes against him that then he'll end up reverting back to the defensive football that we kind of know him for. Yeah. See, the, th- this is th- the funny thing is like it's probably Carlo and Fermanagh are the two still persisting with retreating back ahead of the ball. That they're not pressuring the ball as it's coming up the field. As we know, there's a risk and reward if you're really slow with your build up. As teams are tackling you, building it up, they'll end up with 13 behind the ball. That's grand. So a lot of teams end up with the 13 behind the ball. It's just the likes of Fermanagh and, and Carlo will never end up not with 13 behind the ball or never give you a chance of a kick pass because they're gone off ahead of the ball and they're in zones. That football's gone so outdated and defunct that, you know, that if, if Poacher or Rory Gallagher comes into your county, I can see why Derry people would be concerned about it, that you don't mm. want that running back ahead of the ball and getting back ready in his own and that's it and God there's more to Gaelic football than that yeah and like look, we've had enough arguments throughout the years about whether teams should do this or not or you know whether it's in the spirit of the game or it's nice to watch but it, it comes back to the logic of it now like it, it's it's gone so out of date gone, like, yeah. yeah and with the Fermanagh thing I know they got promoted and then they almost got promoted again and got to an Ulster final so he can look but at that but that's league you see league is irrelevant to championship we know that Dublin uh, were beaten three times in the league this yeah. year and people tried to hold on to that and go they're vulnerable like, what, what are you on about yeah and what I always think with the Fermanagh team is if you can't get the two Quigleys in the team and Tomas Corrigan then you've got a really bad system like that's they're your best players they're going to win games for you and if it's not revolved around that what, what are you doing like you're not trying to win games really and in his interview in the BBC there yesterday was sort of a little bit concerning. So he said, going into Fermanagh, I was looking for a really short-term hit. Like, what are you looking for coming into Derry? You're, you're not going to get, like, 10-year projects here. you got a three-year term, which is generous enough. But, like, Derry are in Division 3, a tough Division 3 that, that they're going to be expected to, to push on and try and get out of. And if they don't make it to the Ulster final and John Horne's new championship comes in, Derry are going to drop into the B championship as well. Yeah. So... He needs to get success quickly at Derry, otherwise people will start turning on him, regardless of what football he's playing. So if he's thinking, I needed a short-term hitter for Manny, he'll probably need that at Derry. And if he thinks the way to get it is playing men behind the ball, then he might do that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Mm. If he wants to get up out of Division 3, it worked with Fermanagh. I'm going to get you out of Division 3 playing this. And then it's like, oh God, you know, listen, I think attendances are down fairly fairly well at, at Derry Games I said it'd be really good through the floor if, if that's everybody's gone against that now even though you could see logic of it for a while while it was like this this trap and then the, the other team will give you the turnover now you're gone mm. and now the teams don't do that anymore mm. you're just basically inviting them onto your 45 they'll eventually break you down and if you if they do give it away they'll work so hard to get it back that your your counter attack won't even work. Yeah. You know, it's just so stupid now. But anyway, <laughs> they'll have a halfback lane in place, and you'll have one forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it worked for about three years. It worked up until fourteen, 
maybe a bit in 15 and then it just started fizzling it started fizzling out mm. to the point that 17 Dublin just blew it out of the water so yeah, much yeah. that they gave the template right another one is Banty to Monaghan I was surprised by this one um, Banty would be from the old school of management I don't think he'd even deny that um, he managed um, Monaghan from 04 to 10 and had some very good uh, performances out of the team again wasn't any, the kind of style of football then was more like play it as you see it and work hard and most of your team stayed in you know in around their positions and then he went with Mead and Wexford didn't do great with Mead got Wexford out of Division 4 um, there's no word in his backroom team yet I think with these managers like Sabanti he needs a younger um Tactician, for yeah. example. So what Banty would be great, I'm sure at, I've no doubt at, is motivating players. Um, I'm sure players would like him. He's a likeable sort of a man. And I think he definitely needs somebody that has been involved with the modern game a little bit. Yeah, I thought I saw it was Peter Donnelly on the Monaghan website. Saw that oh, too, he's yeah. in there, is he? Peter Donnelly, Connor Laverty, David McKeague and Ray Boyne, who obviously was with Dublin. And oh, Boyne's in with him, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's actually, I didn't see that. So that's his backroom team. Yeah. All right, that seems to be okay Pe- then. Peter Donnelly one really surprised me because he's just gone from Toronto to rugby and now so well, that was it, yeah. How, yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure I just saw, I saw his name on the ticket as well so right well that does look like a strong management team then you know mm. like I mean so yeah I've completely gone away from that might try and delete that bit out of the podcast <laughs> you we'll put that out as a promo piece right <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an RT on it right Paul Galvin to Wexford we kind of touched on this this is a, like you're trying you're trying to analyse some of the other ones and this one's just like I haven't a, I haven't a clue what's going to happen <laughs> what's going to happen <laughs> no, here I, I don't I don't have a clue I don't you know? but I can't wait to see it yeah look at listen it's a great appointment for Wexford it's a great appointment for Paul because a bit like John Sugru when he took over Leash the only way is up um, he can't really fail because they can't go down any you know he'll fail yeah, to get yeah. them up but he won't go down any lower to finish second in division four for god's sake and they're much better than that having said that they seem to be losing some of their young players to aussie rules and i think there's another one gone over to england playing soccer but uh this is more of a watch this space i'm not making any judgments on this this is paul galvin who's unpredictable he could be gone after two months yeah he does a tactical column he does a column in the sunday times that i always find interesting i always find it a little bit different from everything you find yeah. elsewhere so that's what i, th- I think wexford won't certainly conform to any kind of nor they, they, you know they'll bring something something different whether that be effective for him i don't know but uh it's i don't want to call it a free pass but as you said it's that there's no he's in division four it's kind of pressure free so to a certain degree which, yeah. I, which, I, which I think will, will obviously help them They're, they will play with intensity they'll tackle hard and they'll do a lot of kick passing that's, yeah. that's what I know about Paul he's on the podcast like yeah. I mean and they won't be soloing hate and hopping soloing. he hates soloing <laughs> and hopping <laughs> will they be trying to talk about kickouts and then Paul Galvin be sitting there going one thing I noticed they keep soloing the balls again <laughs> <laughs> look up move it fast yeah. Mick O'Dwyer that's carry uh, football like yeah. I mean that, you know, that's, that's what you're brought up with um, Jack O'Connor to Kildare um, so he's been ratified we know his backroom team is Ross Galvin who's the Moorfield manager who Jack would have close uh, relationship with because his two young lads play with Moorfield and Tom Cribben, who, while I fell out with him as leash manager, which wouldn't be out of character for me, he's a very good manager, was then anyways, and a really sound sort of a man as well. So players will like him. Um, And he did a good job at Westmead, got them into two Leinster finals. So that looks like a very strong uh, management team. I think Jack O'Connor will do really well. I think Kildare, what they needed was a proven winner. I think somebody like I can only tell you now that when Mick O'Dwyer took us over and told us we were going to be all stars, there's no leash man could ever tell us that and believe them. Mick O'Dwyer told us and he was sincere about it and he had got us three All-Stars and he, like, when Jack O'Connor goes into Kildare and says, you're as good as any Kerry player that I've managed. Imagine what that'll do to yeah, some of those. Yeah. But that's a fact, lads. I've, I've been told, like, okay, Mick didn't tell me that I was as good as any Kerry player, but on that, on those lines, do you know what I mean? It just, it yeah. just makes you feel 10 feet tall that you're getting that because you always in the back of your mind you're like these lads are on another level to us yeah. so Jack O'Connor will come in and he'll tell the lads that need to be told that you know the lads that might not have the confidence level of the, he doesn't need to tell Daniel Flynn Daniel <laughs> Flynn knows that, knows that <laughs> yeah, already. Yeah. do you know what I mean but he, maybe Daniel Flynn might be t- like everybody enjoys hearing it whether you need it is probably the question but I think this is a great appointment I keep saying it that Kildare are by far the number two team in Leinster they're a super eight team on a yearly basis if they have everybody uh, like Paul Cribben and Daniel Flynn were just 
losses that couldn't be uh, replaced um, this year. I think they're a very good team, and I think Jack O'Connor, with his prestige and with his his all his three All Irelands, like you know, and a couple of minors, and he just has that aura about him. This is a match made in heaven for me. Yeah, and it is such a difference. You know how many managers are there that come from the other direction where they're always talking about the other team or what Kerry are doing or do you think Kerry would do that or would that be good enough for them whereas this guy's coming from Kerry and as you say saying that you're all as good as those boys like yeah. just self-belief more than anything it'll be self-belief a bit of self-belief and you know we have Jack O'Connor on our side and I think this that'll be a good one another weird one on the hurling front I don't know have, have you much to say about this um, Michael Fenley to Offaly so Michael Fenley wouldn't really have any management experience. He was in, actually, coincidentally, is in with the Kildare backroom team as strength and conditioning coach with Keen O'Neill. So he's still playing with Ballyhill Shamrocks. Is this, I'm not sure if this is an indication that he might have to give that up. Mm. Um, don't know if you can still play club hurling, although Eddie Brennan did it with Leash. Um, he's still playing with Ballyhill or Greg Ballycallum. Yeah. They got um, the intermediate final. They beat Port Leash yeah. in, the fin- in the Leinster final. Mm. And uh, he did it. So he probably play away with, with Ballyhale, maybe. So it's just, it's an interesting one. Eddie Brennan obviously got the leash job and did so well. But Eddie Brennan had under 21. You know, he'd served his Jews with the under 21s with uh, Kilkenny. Um, he'd gotten them into an All-Ireland final. So Michael Fenley is probably, it's a bit of a left field one. Yeah. No one's saying that he won't be very good. He'll have Brian Cody as his only managerial influence outside of club manager. So listen, It'll be it's, uh, yeah. a bit like Paul Galvin. It's hard to say when you don't. You're not really sure how that one's. Yeah, going, they, how off, going awfully. Hurling really needs a shot in the arm. Uh, given after what happened to him last year, and like everything I've read and heard about Michael Fenley strikes me as really, really intelligent, really kind of positive guy. And he'll have come, as you said, from a culture of excellence in Kilkenny. Who worked for like Eddie Brennan has his own credentials, but I'd like I, I would imagine that being part of that Kilkenny setup for so long has rubbed off on his management style, and, and Michael Fenley can bring that too. So I think it's uh, no more than Galvin. Like for for the profile of Offaly Hurland will will get a big boost as well and, and given where they're coming from from this year I think uh, yeah that's the shot in the arm that they need really. just, just on that because we're talking about Michael Fenley but on the other side it's a very very difficult job because we talked about this in the Hurling show that Offaly team at the moment is a little bit toxic there's fellas in there and the effort they're putting in is very questionable the culture in the squad is not to work hard in matches in games and not to take criticism to answer back then the, the culture within pundits in the county is to critique the manager and, you know, kind of give the players a free pass. Michael Fenley, for an inexperienced manager, has a shit hard job there. That's the yeah. truth. It's, it's, that's mm. as difficult a job in hurling or football in the whole country. I'm not exaggerating. It's really, really difficult. And they're Christy Ring this year, right? They're down to yeah. Christy so Ring. Like, yeah, you have to wonder how up for it everybody's going to be this year. Like You, you know. could have a lot of retirements because their two best forwards, uh, Shane Dooley and Joe Bergen, they've pushed well on now. So whether they'll be interested in playing Chris Deering. Look, he obviously wants to get on the managerial ladder. I'd be, I'd be given that awfully job a wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> I know Paddy Power might have had myself and the Buff Egan as 10,000 to one outsiders <laughs> to get the job. Um, right, Andy McEntee's kept on in Mead. Um until 2022 this seems like a very smart um, a very smart appointment I don't think Mick, I don't think Mead are the real deal they got into the Super 8s now Division 1 it's a very very good achievement for them to keep Andy on for three years because he's done very good work to get them at that level even though I don't think they're world beaters he has them playing well for how good they are getting into Super 8s Division 1 I think that's as far as this Mead team can go until some of these young, better players, younger players after successful minor team um, get up and kind of maybe bring them to the next level. But Andy McEntee, you'd have no problem. He'd be the one that was going to do it for them. Yeah, like they're well on the road now. Yeah. Keen was saying now they just need this experience in Division 1 next year. Yeah, and giving them three years is a good one as well so that players know exactly where to stand. Mm-hmm. Colin Collins is staying with Clare. Um, seventh year, I think only Mickey Hart is longer serving. Would I be right in saying that? I actually read two names and I forgot the other one, but uh, Mickey Hart, I'm going to put the two of you on the spot. <laughs> Not much to <laughs> Not say about Colin head, yeah. Collins. They're back down in Division 3 and they're in a poxy um, provincial championship. They're 
guaranteed to draw Kerry in a semi-final this year again because they do it every, they do it every <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, so it's like yeah. groundhog season for for uh, for Clare. But it's good to see Colm. He's one of the Gaelic football's good guys. So he's still there. Kevin Walsh has left Galway. So they're down Michal Donoghue. You're loving this, Connor. All this disarray <laughs> over, over the border. Um, he's gone from, from Galway. A lot of people saying he's leaving Galway in a better position than he got them. And he is. But he's, he definitely slipped with them you know, in the last year, the last year was very disappointing. Um, I think they're better. I think they're a great team to take over. And I've said uh, this. Yeah, I'd agree I with that, yeah. them. They've got fierce talent that if you get that, just those a uh, couple of tweaks and find yourself a wing back. You need to find a goalkeeper. Um, and I think they're not far away. I think that's a good, very good Galway team with strike forwards that are that are really needed. Yeah, it's um, it's absolutely okay to recognise what Kevin Welch has done for Galway, but also to criticise you know the style of play maybe that he's played for the last couple of years. I mean, when he took them over, like Galway, like uh, Galway were nothing in Connacht really. They'd been like uh, on the end of a few hidings from Mayo for a few years to the extent that they've completely turned that rivalry around, especially in Connacht. I know Mayo beat Galway this year, but we haven't beaten them in Connacht in a long time. But that said, like, that by the end of his time, I don't think he was using Galway's resources to the, the best of their ability. Let's say he's some absolutely cracking forwards there that I don't think the style of play necessarily suited. And I think that, like, I, I think that there'll be a big emphasis on whoever is coming in Galway to kind of channel that and to, to, to get back to a more traditional style of, of, of yeah. Galway football. And I think that the contenders that have been touted, including Park Joyce, whose uh, Galway under-20 team were very highly rated playing a nice brand of football this year. I think um, he'll bring it. I think uh, Kevin O'Brien, I think, has maybe been mentioned. Actually, Stephen Rochford has been mentioned, but then he seems the Donegal backroom team has been confirmed I as well. I think so he's not staying sure there. The John Dively's there. been mentioned too. He's obviously got experience um, with Sigerson Cup with UCD. So that's it. Porrick Joyce um, could probably be the front runner there. Yeah, you mentioned Kevin O'Brien as well. It's interesting. The problem with Galway was that, in fairness to Kevin Walsh, he identified that the zonal uh, the zonal tactics were outdated, and he tried to move it away from it this year. And it was a little bit confused, mm-hmm. and it was neither here nor there. And I'm not sure Kevin knew how to move away from it. You know what I mean properly and. He's probably right to have left it after five years now. So it'll be interesting to see. It's funny enough that there, he he had a statement, and uh, the Galway GA website deleted a part of it. So when they put it up on their website, some of it had had been taken out, and this is the part that was taken out. I emphatically believe that there are great things to come for Galway football. Having had the opportunity to work with professionals at the top of their field over the last number of years, I would like to see the recommendations in our reports to the county board, which included facilities and equipment, operations, alignment and development of underage teams through to senior level, finance, competition structures, proper development and welfare, medical screening and deep level coaching continue to be implemented in the interests of Galway football going forward. Galway County Board don't want to entertain this. <laughs> so he's given, obviously, recommendations on how they can improve. And they just took this down off to put a whole statement up, except for this part. Like, I mean, what is going It's North Korea stuff yeah. here. Like, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And did they not read the statement anyway before they put it up? Like, <laughs> they put it up and thought, shit, Jesus, did you see that line in it? So, oh, was it taken down or it was just wasn't put up? Wasn't it went up originally up. and then oh, that right. was taken out of it. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, I liked the fact he took out. Um, I believe great things are coming for Galway football. <laughs> so that was part of it. Yeah. Put once, that back in. once these lads, yeah. whip, you know, yeah. come up to the standards needed. Davy Fitz, he's staying in Wexford. That was a big news uh, breaking this week. So um, obviously, Wexford people would be absolutely delighted to keep Davy on, especially after perform- their performance against Tip. Um, interestingly, this morning, Jerry O'Connor, who's Clare joint manager, he stepped down. So it'll be interesting to see whether Donald Maloney, who's his joint manager and you know partner, obviously with the under twenty ones, and for the last three years, whether he's going to stay on or not. Now, I didn't see that in the article I, r- I read. Although I did get uh, Banty's backroom team uh, one wrong, so you just have to look that one up for yourselves. Um, and then that's it. So the last one is the biggest appointment of the whole summer which has gone completely under the radar on this show. And that's Derek McGrath to the Leash Minor Hurlers. Can you believe this? What a coup. <laughs> what a coup is all I can say. Coup, coup, coup. <laughs> right? So Derek McGrath um, has taken over our, our minors. And any of the hurling show, well, this isn't even a general show. This is supposed to be a football show, but we're going to talk a little bit about uh, hurling. The myself and Cheddar. I was asking Cheddar. I saw highlights of the Leash Minor hurlers playing Westmead. 
they hammered Westmead now and it was as good a performance like Jesus some of the hurling was out of the top draw really skillful hurling you know like hurling you would associate with Tipperary or Kilkenny and what it just looked so off the charts for Leash Miners so I was saying to Cheddar here look are our minor hurlers brilliant or was I, am I just overthinking it oh they are yeah they are yeah and the funny thing about that minor team Woolly is is that there's 13 or 14 in underage again next year. So this is our greatest minor team in a long, long time, right? Now, Wexford ended up beating them. Kind of pointed close enough, but they got goals. They ended up beating them by 12 points now, but all these young lads are in their last year, this year. So coming up through the ranks, they they won... Uh, they followed up a successful Tony Forrestal, which is, I think, is under, it might be under 16, All-Ireland. And then they won the Arabon Tournament Cup in Tipperary last year, beat Waterford in the final. So I think they're like under 16, under 17 tournaments and Leash are winning those All-Irelands at that age group. And now they're going to, now they're going to come up. Well, it's under 17 or is it minor uh, uh, hurling? I'm not, I think hurling is still minor. I think it's still minor, 21. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. Derek McGrath. Knows a good team when he sees a say the leash, leash delegates that went down. Qu- Derek, do you want a minor All Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> we can make that happen for you. But uh, that's a really exciting. That's a really exciting uh, appointment. Um, I can't see Derek going in playing, you know, overly defensive tactics. I'm not sure that he'll have to find out what works for those players or whatever. But to have Eddie Brennan over our senior hurlers and Derek McGrath over our minor hurlers, <laughs> this is fairy tale stuff, lads. <laughs> yeah. Trust me for for leash hurling. Leash hurling's on the up. That's all I have to say. And yeah, what a coup for leash hurling. So that's it, lads. You've nothing to say on Derek McGrath, do you? No, let's let's yeah, not fool ourselves. I, I had the privilege of working with oh, you. Derek did, yeah. You did. My God, like what a man and. Just seems to watch games all day when he's not doing anything else. He, yeah. was, he was on holidays one day, just texting us these clips from games and stuff like that yeah. out in Spain. Like, yeah, honestly, it's an unreal coup. You know, obviously, people thought he was going to go to Waterford. Some people said Galway. He was offered another job. So go to one firm with Waterford, Waterford um, to Port Leash now the, with the bypass of Waterford City. I think Derek's on the other side. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes. So it's not yeah, even a killer. Of a, it's yeah. not a killer of a drive for him. So um, yeah, it's perfect. Worked out for everybody. Let's hope. Watch this space. Leash Miner Hurlers. You've heard it here first on the football show. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday. We're going to do a review of the Camogie All-Ireland Final. Yes, if it's a first here in the GAR, you've heard that right. The Camogie All-Ireland Final. Right, we'll talk to you Monday. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. Home of the GAR Football Acker. I'm not finished yet, it took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f-ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.